Hey, this is Peter Hickman. I am the fastest road racer in the world. Welcome to the BMW Motorrad podcast. Here's your host, Andy Dukes. Hey guys, I wish I could say that was me riding that double R on the limit, but it was Peter Hickman. We've been trying to catch him ever since his amazing race wins at the Isle of Man TT and Northwest 200 earlier this year. But then he went and did something even more special at the Ulster Grand Prix. Seven out of seven. Here are a few highlights for you to enjoy before we talk to the main man. Hickman and Harrison are the two to watch. Hickman has got the speed to break the lap record again. This is going to be very, very fast indeed. Here he comes, Peter Hickman, across the line. Oh, and there it is. It's a new lap record, and he smashed it. He smashed it by two seconds. This BMW has been getting better and better, hasn't it, through the season? Yeah. And it is now better than it ever was. Better, Peter Hickman said, than it was at the TT. And I tell you what, Richard, I bet you he say, he'll tell you there's still more to come. BMW have got the package again that everybody needs to beat. That's one thing. Uh, and part of their package, of course, is the extraordinary talent of Peter Hickman. So, Peter Hickman, it is a record-breaking Ulster Grand Prix in 2019 for Peter Hickman. Across the line he goes, what have we witnessed? He has set history here at the Ulster Grand Prix. I think everyone will remember for a long time where they were when Peter Hickman won seven races at the Ulster Grand Prix. What a year Peter Hickman's had. Race victories at the Isle of Man TT, Northwest 200, 7 out of 7 and the outright lap record holder at the Ulster Grand Prix. British Superbikes, World Superbike Wildcard and much more. He's officially the fastest road racer in the world, but also one of the busiest and most hard-working guys I know. Always on the move. It wasn't easy to pin him down for the podcast, but we got there in the end. Welcome, Hickey. How you doing? You all right? What would you say out of, you know, TT, Northwest, Ulster, what's been, what's been the real, real high points for you? I mean, it's, it's probably hard to choose one, isn't it? It's all, <laughs> all been good. Yeah, it's, it's hard to choose one. I mean, the good thing is we've, we've won all three events on the, on the double R, so that's, uh, that's always a good sign, especially for a brand new bike. So we had the first ever international win for the, for the double R as well, which is good. Um, which was a Northwest in the Superstock race. In fact, that Superstock bike that I rode was um, unbelievable, really. It only got finished at the Northwest. So on the first day, which is the Tuesday, uh, the bike got finished at midday, and I rode it at two o'clock in the afternoon. The, the team, you know, that's how late everything came. Um, and in three laps, I was pole on it straight away. Every single session that a bike's ever done, it's only ever won or been pole. So, um, so it was it was pole at the Northwest, then won in the race. We went to the TT, it was polling all the practices and won the race. And then at the Ulster Grand Prix, it was polling both practices and won the race. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a really good bike for me, that. Uh, but to actually choose which would be the best is difficult. I mean, the Isle of Man TT is obviously something extremely special. Uh, to get three wins in a week, there's not been that many people that have done it. You know, there's an elite kind of group. Um, it should probably well, it should have been four really, but um, but there you go. We had that issue in the senior, uh, but to come to the Ulster Grand Prix and actually win seven races from from seven is um, obviously someone no one's ever done that before. Um, five in a day, Philip McCallan's done, um, but we actually did the five in the day and the two on the previous day as well. So um, yeah, lots of highlights and obviously breaking the lap record again on the double R. So. Uh, it's the fastest bike ever around the Isle of Man TT. It's now the fastest bike ever at the Ulster Grand Prix as well. So to over 136 mile an hour average was um, pretty pretty epic. Absolutely brilliant. Now, for all the sports bike riders out there, can you explain, can you try and put it in perspective, 
what it's like to, to ride on public roads, you know, with stone walls, curbs, lampposts, trees, buildings, bridges, spectators, humps, undulations, varying levels of grip at speeds over 200 miles an hour. That's uh, 320 kilometres or thereabouts for for uh, those that, you know, don't understand miles. On a BMW bike, outputting, you know, over 200 horsepower for, for sometimes insanely long distances. I mean, if you're talking about the senior, I think it's it's about 220-odd miles, isn't it, at the end of six laps? How can you put that in perspective, what it's like to do that? I don't know, actually. I don't, I don't know how words can describe exactly that, that feeling. Like you say, the senior, it's 226 miles just over, something like that. Um, so it's an hour and 40 minutes of pounding around the Isle of Man TT. And like you say, most of the time, I would say for the, for the majority of the lap, we are well over 160 miles an hour for, for the most of the lap. Um, with only a few slow corners. And I think there's probably three or four one first gear corners and everything else is, is more like fourth gear. <laughs> um, to actually describe it, I, I really don't know. It's something so special, so unique. Um, the The only way you'll ever understand it is if you actually come to the event and stand in a hedge somewhere and 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 see us go by and see the riders go by see the bikes go by feel it hear it see it and then you'll understand it i understand it i mean i've stood at the bottom of bray hill and sort of been been blown away by that i mean you know if you think about the tt i think there are over 200 turns on that course and and they all need to be memorized don't they is it true that you watched old race videos and and then hired a car and drove around drove about 70 laps of the course just to get it in your head yeah exactly that yeah i played the playstation game as well quite a lot the original playstation game so it was a playstation 2 uh, but I played that a lot as a kid. That made a a bit of a difference because I had some knowledge of the course. I went in 2013 um, just for a watch. And it's the first time I've been back since I was a one-year-old. So I went as, with my dad as a one-year-old uh, when he was running the JPS Nortons there. So went back in 2013 for a little look round. And I knew probably 50% of the course even though I've never actually been around it. I jumped in a car with Dave O. Johnson, actually, who just won his first classic TT race, which is cool. And uh, he said, oh, I'm going for a lap. I literally just got to the paddock, and he was like, he was pulling out in his car, and he goes, oh, I'm going for a lap. Do you, want to, do you want to jump in? So I jumped in with him. And I was like, oh, you go left here, don't you? There's a little jump, turn right. And he goes, oh, you've been around a few times. I was like, no, no, this is my first ever lap. And he was like, well, I can't, I can't believe that. So he said, well, I tell you, he kept testing me throughout throughout most of the lap, and... I say not definitely not all of it, but but a lot of it I I already knew, and uh, I think that kind of planted the seed in my head of well, if I can remember that from being a kid playing it on the PlayStation, if I actually put some effort into it, then what what would be possible? So yeah, I drove uh, I had a high car and drove round and round and round. I did seven different trips from January to the end of April of fourteen, which was my first year. The year after. And uh, yeah, did about seventy laps in a car. I watched onboards from the previous year. It was a Gary Johnson lap. Actually, it's about one hundred twenty-eight mile an hour practice lap on the Thursday night. It was a really good lap. He hits everything nice and clean. You can see everything. He doesn't catch any traffic. Uh, you hear all the gear changes, stuff like that. So you just you can then learn and understand. Uh, and then when you're driving it, you go, all right, there were fourth gear here, there were third gear here, there were second there, or whatever it may be. And then I kind of made my own plan in my head of going, well, I was looking at the corner going, fourth gear through here, that looks a bit fast to me. So I, you know, I planned in my head, well, on my first few laps, I'm going to be in third gear. I'm going to be a good gear lower. I'm going to be laps at least kind of 30 mile an hour slower than probably what you should be. It means you're nice and safe. Uh, you know, and that's something that 
even on track you know uh, track day riders can learn from i do some instruction every now and again and i always try and teach people sometimes depending on the course or the corner to just be a gear lower than what they think because then it will always mean that you're slow enough uh, you know the big thing with the tt is obviously staying safe and safe long enough to be able to understand it to learn it to then go fast yeah, well, it obviously worked because I think you got the fastest newcomer prize in, in 2014. And, and of course, now, you know, a few years in, no one's ever lapped faster that, around that course than you. I think you're outright lap record. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it 135.452? That's the one. Uh, that was set last year, 2018, on yeah. uh, an S1000RR. How close to the edge were you that day? Or are you going to tell me that uh, slow is fast again? <laughs> well, it was definitely um, it was definitely on the limit in a good few areas. Um, that's not to say there wasn't more left in the tank. Um, I wouldn't say not necessarily left in the tank on me but or in me. Um, but you know, I caught nine back markers on that lap. So I passed nine people. And some of them were in places where they cost me a good second or two. Um, so if you kind of add all them together and you say, all right, well, conservatively conservatively there's at least four or five seconds in it that would put us over 136 mile an hour even at the tt so um for sure there's definitely room for improvement there always is there's always room for improvement especially on such a big course you know because it's nearly 38 miles around or 60k um you know there is so much to it and you can't always get everything perfect i'm a pretty accurate rider but I wouldn't say that you can be that perfect, especially at them speeds, because once you're doing 170, 80 mile an hour, if you're just a few inches off turning in, you're a few feet off on the exit. So, you know, you're never, you're never quite perfect. No, it's the, it's the cumulative effect, isn't it? So what would you say has been your most butt-clenching, heart-in-the-mouth TT moment on a bike to date then? Uh, I've had a couple. I'm lucky enough that I've not had too many. Um, my second year, I had a really uh, interesting big one, <laughs> if you if you like. Um, running into the 33rd on the last lap of the senior in 2015, which was my second year at the TT, I had a massive front-end slide in top gear, which was really un- in a really unusual spot. I've never had that since. Um, and funny enough, I spoke to McGuinness after the race, and he had it in exactly the same spot on the last lap. So I think there was something to do with the wind on the crest uh, of the road, in the middle of the road, right on the crown of the road, if you like. As I crossed it, I just lost the front end top gear, which was not ideal. Um, I got away with it, but um, other than that, in 16, actually my next year, I had a, I had a bit of a moment. I hit my shoulder on the bank at Bishop's Court, uh, which is not ideal. Top gear again, funny enough, in the senior again on the on the superbike, um, just clip clip the bank with my shoulder and luckily didn't rip myself off the back of the bike because that's a big problem if you obviously if you hit the bank hard enough it'll actually pull you off the off the back of the bike you've got no control i managed to actually keep hold of the bars and got away with it but i would say they're probably the two that's um stood out the most anyway and you're also the holder of the tt Superstock lap record as well which i think is only just over a second slower than the outright record uh it's a mile an hour slower so it's um it's about uh between five and seven seconds slower over the lap uh, but it's one mile an hour so 134 four zero something so that's uh 216.3 yeah something yeah. like that on a on a yeah on a, on a super stop bike so how just how good is your stock double r then well, this is it. This is how good the BMs are out, out of the box. You know, the double R is so, so strong out of the box. Um, bear in mind, the, the Superstock bikes, yeah, they've got a fair bit changed to them, but it's not it's not big. 
you know the engine's obviously um, the best it can be. It's a blueprinted engine, so it's done to the blueprints, as it you know, it's kind of self-explanatory, I guess. But not a lot of people realise what they actually mean by a blueprinted engine. It just means everything's taken to its tolerance from the original drawings. Um, because obviously everything's manufactured, it was mass produced, so nothing's ever perfect. So they just choose the best of the best as it comes off the production line. Uh, match everything as much as possible so they weigh all the pistons and all the comrods and they just make sure that the engine's as good as it could be um, and normally you can gain kind of maybe two to five horsepower out of a blueprinted engine over a stock engine but honestly sometimes I've had a stock engine that's been just as strong if not stronger than a blueprinted engine so sometimes you just get them engines that are just really really good um, so we ran a blueprinted engine we ran Acropovic uh, exhaust system Front fork, internals, rear shock, standard wheels, standard brakes, um, slightly thicker discs actually on the front. That's what we're allowed to do for the super stocks. But it's like half a mil thicker on each disc. It's nothing. Um, handlebars, footrests, fairings, bigger tank obviously, but it's actually a standard tank that's been modified. Apart from that, it had kit electronics on it. That's it. Crack on and ride it, and um, the the bike was, yeah, the bike's one of the best bikes I've ever ridden. Even as a you know, even though it's only a stocker, it was just did everything I asked it to all the time, and uh, I was fast on that everywhere we went as well. Funnily enough, I won on that at the uh, at the Northwest and and the TT um, last year as well. So, from a from a customer perspective, then, like a customer bike straight out of the BMW Motorrad dealer, how good are those now compared to say sports bikes of ten years ago from from dealers? Massively different, <laughs> yeah, massively different. There's so much more um, technology and. Uh, innovation that's in in modern bikes altogether really they're you know they're way far advanced on what they were 10 years ago i've got to ask you about the uh, ultra gp obviously you know you've spoken already about your magnificent seven um would you say that's one of the best places in the world to ride a bike yeah it is yeah it's one of the best circuits in the world to ride a bike it's fairly untouched from its first kind of idea when it was uh when it became the circuit that it is now it used to be a lot longer originally but now it's um you know it's 7.4 miles and it's yeah, it, i actually liken it to a short circuit it's close to a short circuit it's actually really smooth there's only a couple there's literally two corners where there's bumps apart from that it's as smooth as a as a race circuit if not smoother the actual circuit itself is um yeah it's one of the best circuits you can ever ride just watching the uh, TV coverage on the BBC Sport, it looked like you're having a fantastic ding dong uh, and on all those races, but also really enjoying it as well. There was a li- little bit of uh, argy bargy, but in a good way, going on, which which looked really entertaining. But at the same time, I was thinking, hang on a sec, these guys are going over 200 miles an hour here and uh, giving each other a wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I'm so lucky that my passion is my job. Um, there's not many people that can actually can actually say that through all walks of life, to, you know, regardless of their passion. Um, and for me to be able to do it as a as a motorcycle racer, actually earn some money from bike racing, call it my job. You know, I'm a proper lucky boy, really. And um, yeah, the all star, I just really enjoyed. Everything clicked. Everything worked. All three bikes I was riding from the super sport bike and then the super stock double r and the super bike double r everything just worked out the box straight away we got there we had a plan and again this is this is going back to having the right team around you that understand you as a rider and as a person 
we we didn't change anything on anything you know we just kind of went with that's that's where it probably should be left it alone keep putting fuel in it keep putting tires in them and just ride them and i had such a good week i just enjoying my riding i was just fast you know whenever you're happy you're fast anyway so um you know and I, it almost easy is the wrong word but i i just I never felt like i was under any pressure from anyone or anything the super spot races were the closest races but even even that I had kind of planned and worked out and to know you have them days or weeks sometimes where just everything goes how you want it to and the plan works <laughs> the plan doesn't always work and it and for the Ulster it just did great to see you um sort of seeming like you've got so much respect and trust of your race rivals um that enables you to race in that way but still with a smile on your face despite the high risks yeah, absolutely, and um, you know, there's um, there's definitely some riders around that you wouldn't want to be quite so close with, especially on a road. Um, and then there's people like Lee Johnson. You know, everyone's that 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 kind of super sport race in particular on the Thursday night. Um, you know, everyone's kind of keeps replaying the video to me. And to be honest, when I watch it back, it, it makes my hair, you know, the hairs on the back of my neck still stand on end. But you know, it's such um, it's so good to be able to ride with caliber riders such as Lee. And you just know you're safe. You know he knows I'm safe. I know he's safe. So you can be nice and close, and and not you know never once did I think, oof, I don't want to be this close to this guy. You know he was predictable, did everything as you would expect, and I'm you know, I'm sure he'd say the same about me. Seven out of seven. Um, how are you going to top that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we should take a two fifty and do the lightweight race as well. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think yeah, the only way we could actually ever beat that is by doing the the lightweight race and the um, the super twin race. But they're only on Thursday. You can't really do them on the Saturday because you're limited. Nowadays, you're limited to five races in a day in international road racing. So you can never do more than five. So um, so yeah, it's uh, that that would be the only way of topping it. Is you'd have to on the Thursday you'd be able to do the twin race and the lightweight race. But uh, whether anyone would actually ever do that. I doubt it. Nice problem to have. So, who, who would you say your greatest rival in racing has been to date? I don't know, really. Difficult to say. I mean, obviously, in the modern era right now for road racing, I would say Dean Harrison is is the closest, um, especially at the TT. You know, he's um, he's been really, really strong these last couple of years. And going back to what I said about BSB helping you, as a short circuit rider, he's been doing more and more BSB and he's been getting faster and faster at that. And in turn, he's been getting faster on the roads because of it as well. And again, he's stayed in the same team now, I think two, three, maybe even four years now he's been in the same team. Makes a big difference. That continuity from year to year and understanding the people that's around you and them understanding you as a rider makes um, makes a big difference. You spoke a little bit earlier about um, track days and doing a little bit of instruction, things like that. But for, like for anyone who's got a double R and takes it out for a Sunday blast or maybe wobbles around the occasional track day, what's the best way to improve their riding skills? Walk before you can run is <laughs> always the best thing. You know, everyone is a bit like most a lot of riders that come through on track days just riding a small bike initially and they get to a 600 and they actually get going quite good and then they think, ah, oh, I'll get a 1,000, I'll go faster. And nearly every single one of them goes slower because the big bike's hard to ride. You know, it's fast in a straight line, but then it's going that fast that to be able, you then break too much because you think you're going too fast all the time. Um, the straights are not where you gain your time. You know, the corners are where you gain your time and it's all about planning. 
Um, a big thing when I'm instructing is using markers and reference points because if you can be consistent, then you can learn from your consistency. So a lot of people don't use markers and they just try and go faster and go harder and for some people that works, but for the majority of people that normally ends up with your barrel rolling down into the gravel. If you can pick a, a point early on in your day or early on in your session where you go, I'm always going to break here, no matter what, I'm just going to keep breaking there, and you do that every single lap, you will very quickly learn if you're always too slow for that corner or too fast for that corner. And then you can work on that marker and go, well, I'll just go just past it. If you're always too slow into it, or always finding you having to let go of the brake to be able to get to the corner, you know, you can work on it. So whereas, and the opposite way of that is, you, you know, if, you, if you're always a bit too fast or you're a bit too hard on the brake, you know, you need to brake just before it. And then as you learn and as you get faster, then braking markers will change either one way or another because as you come out the corner before faster, you'll approach that marker quicker and at a higher speed. So then you need to adjust that marker for the next corner. And then do it again on every corner, lap after lap after lap. That's how it is. <laughs> what about you, though? Can you still ride for pleasure, or does it feel like work? Uh, most of the time, it feels like pleasure for me. <laughs> I just really enjoy riding bikes. You know, we've got a car park here, and, I, and to be honest, I can get my little mini bike out and ride around the car park, and I'll have as much of a laugh as I do anywhere else. Um, as long as I get to ride a bike, I'm I'm pretty happy. I noted you also raced in uh, New Zealand last winter um, and did pretty well on a Beamer too. Now, the first uh, BMW International GS Trophy is heading down there next February. Would you recommend the country as a good motorcycling destination? Absolutely, yeah. It's an absolutely... It's the first time I've ever been to New Zealand and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I didn't get much of the South Island. I did mainly the North Island. I was only there for three weeks and I had three races. Um, so pretty much every weekend I was on a bike. But the actual roads was, yeah, brilliant. You know, there's not um, there's not many motorways at all. It's all kind of what we class as B roads and A roads, I guess. Um, and everywhere. They were just everywhere. It was very, very scenic beautiful place people are absolutely awesome and there's not that many of them you know i think there's about five million people there whereas there's 60 odd million here in the uk yet it's the same size i would i just wanted to ask what what your connection is with bruce dickinson and beer <laughs> yeah bruce and beer um the uh yeah, it came through a friend of a friend to be quite honest it's a bit of a long-winded story but um yeah, iron maiden and robinson's brewery have been sponsoring me since 2015 um, with their beer brand, uh, Trooper Beer, um, for the road racing in the Supersport class for yeah Northwest TT and Ulster. In fact, the last couple of years they've been on the Superbike and the Stocker as well. Um, and Bruce has been great. Um, we've not managed to get him to a TT yet. He's always he's always busy. He's a bit like me. He's always doing something. Um, but uh, I've met Bruce a good few times and the other members of the band. And I've been and watched them a few times as well. And uh, they're they're actually really into it. Something different for them. And also you know. Beer, bikes, and rock—it all kind of just goes together, doesn't it? Pure and crafted, absolutely. And and apparently, I mean, he's a massively intelligent guy. Is he also like a? He's qualified to pilot an airline, isn't he? Yeah, he's been a he's been a, an airline pilot. He does a lot of personal flying as well. He's got loads of loads of different types of planes, all weird and wonderful stuff. Um, but yeah, he's um, he's a really cool guy. You know, I've I've say I've been in contact with him since 2015 and he's uh yeah he's just 
just a genuine person. You know, he could sit in this room right now with us and have this conversation with us, and you'd never think he was a global megastar. And the beer's good. Yeah, I'm, to be fair, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm not much of a beer drinker. <laughs> but yeah, even I actually don't mind a troop of beer, so that's all right. Good stuff. So you've had a, an absolutely fantastic year, as we've already spoken about, Ulster GP, TT wins and podiums, victory in the Superstock race at the Northwest 200. You're going great guns in the BSB, and you've got the Macau GP, where you've won already three times, coming up, I think, in November. Um, but what are your long-term ambitions? Where do you want to be, say, in five years' time? Good question. Um, I try not to think too much about the future. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, never mind in five years. Um, well, obviously the, the aim is to be a British Superbike champion at some point. Um, you know, we are aiming to be, you know, in the last two years I've finished fifth and fourth, so I've been close. Uh, the aim this year is to try and finish in the top three. Uh, if we don't make that this year, then obviously we'll have another go next year. But obviously, we want to try and win the championship. Um, as far as road racing goes, I never set out any kind of ambitions. I just take it as it comes. And I think, you know, a lot of people ask me, what's what's your preference or what's what's your main goal for the year? Is it roads? Is it PSB? And a lot of people think it's just roads because that's what I'm getting my success at. In actual fact, my concentration is always on BSB. I do the roads for a bit of fun. But because I take that mindset on it, I think that works. And I think that works for me in particular. Um, that, you know, I turn up with absolutely zero pressure on me, zero pressure from the team or the manufacturers. Just go around my bike, enjoy myself. What will be, will be. And, uh, you know, we seem to be pretty good at it. So, yeah, I, I still want to be doing the TT. I still want to be winning at the TT. But really, I want to be, you know, British Superbike champion. That would be, um, that's something that, that I want to achieve before not too long, before, otherwise, I'm going to get too old. And if you achieve that, would you be looking um, onto the world stage on short circuit racing? I'd love to. I'd love to go world superbike. Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple of a couple of wild cards. Uh, one in 2012 for Suzuki, and obviously one this year at Donington for uh, for BM. Yeah, it went well this year, didn't it? Especially yeah. qualifying. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, I got quite lucky really with the whole qualifying situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, second row I was nearly on the front row. It was it was really close to being on the front row, but. Um, you know, I uh, I had a really good weekend and the bike worked really well. Unfortunately, we had a, a bit of an engine issue in that second race, but apart from that, the actual whole weekend went well. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. The, having no test on it or anything like that, just straight into it, was always going to be hard work. But um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good weekend, and I'd love to be able to do a whole championships at some point, go and race these amazing circuits all around the world. Bang on, well, whatever your ambitions are, I'm sure you're going to achieve them. So thanks for talking to us, and we wish you the very best of the luck for the future, Peter. Thank you very much. Cheers. What a top man Peter is. Well, that's it for another BMW Motorrad podcast. We'll be back soon with the next one. But why not subscribe, and then you'll get it automatically as soon as it drops. And while you're at it, we'd love a rating, and we'd love to hear from you too. Until next time, don't forget to make your life a ride. Bye for now.